What's going on? Welcome into the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. I hope everyone enjoyed the game last night. I hope you stayed up. I hope you didn't listen to Max Kellerman and go to sleep at the half because if you did, you would have missed one heck of a ball game as the Pelicans took down the Phoenix Suns 125-114 to in game two. They've evened up the series one to one. And now we'll head back to the Big Easy for games three and four. Of course, hopefully you listened to the radio broadcast last night with Todd Graffnini and John DeShazer. And J.D. is kind enough to join us from Phoenix before they head on back this afternoon. J.D., I know it's going to be a happy flight home based on what you saw last night. How are you, my friend? I'm good. And, um, man, that squad put on a, they put on a performance last night. They really, really played their rear ends off. Um, you know, I, they, they played a good second half of game one. Uh, First half of game one was just miserable. They couldn't make a shot. Uh, and then they got in the second half and couldn't miss a shot. I mean, they got they got warm down the stretch. So it was good to see them. It's always good to see the hard work pay off. But but to see it happen on the road against the best team in the NBA, and I don't I don't care if Devin Booker was playing or not, that's still a real good squad. And so to be able to beat that team on the road to even the series, just it's just huge. Yeah, I think people forget, though, the Pelicans had a lead when Devin Booker left the game. So they were he, when he was still playing, the Pelicans were still winning. And, and J.D., you mentioned the slow start in game number one. But since then, basically six full quarters, the Pelicans have basically flipped the switch. What were the biggest adjustments they made in these six quarters in order for them not only to have a very successful second half in game number one in the loss, but to play a, a pretty decent game yesterday? There was a little bit of ups and downs there, but for the most part, it looked like a completely different team in game number two. Well, they switched up the defensive coverage on Chris Paulson. They want to push him left. You know, Chris likes to go right. When he goes right, uh, he has all his options available, whether it's the lob to DeAndre Ayton or, or Javon McGee or it's a kick to the corner for the three to, to Jay Crowder or Mikhail Bridges or Cam Johnson. So, you know, they wanted to take some of that away. That was one of the things they wanted to do. Second, um, um, Phoenix just missed some shots. I mean, Phoenix missed some shots, that, and Chris Paul particularly missed some shots that he would normally make. And I got a little bit nervous because I was like, at, at one point, he was, you know, shooting maybe three for 13 or something like that. And I was like, man, this dude, you know, at some point, he's going to start making some shots. Well, he never really did. Uh, and then the Pelicans, of course, got out in transition a couple of times and caught Phoenix off some made baskets in transition. I thought Jackson Hayes' activity made him – you know, kind of introduced him to the series because in game one, he was self-checked. They didn't bother guarding him in game one, and he had to make himself more active and more available, and I thought he did that. He only scored nine points, but it was a big nine, and he made the defense have to respect that the fact that he was on the floor because he was getting up and down the floor, and all of a sudden it became, you know, okay, well, you're not going to guard me. At least I'm going to do something. I'm just going to run around and force you to pay some attention to me, and I thought that that came up huge, and of course, you know, Brandon Ingram played the game of his life. I mean, he was he got he got he got on a heater and they couldn't get him off of it. And I don't care if it was Mikhail Bridges, who's one of the best defenders in the league. I don't care if it was Jay Crowder. I don't care who it was. It, they could have put they could have put Akeem Olajuwon on last night. Nobody was going to stop him the way he was rolling. I mean, he started cooking and he pretty much roasted everybody who stood in front of him. Before I let Jim uh, ask you some questions here, uh, J.D., let's talk about uh, you mentioned Brandon Ingram. And look, something I heard last night from Willie is basically that second half. He didn't call a ton of plays. He kind of let B.I. 
do his thing. What does that say about the trust that those two have with one another? Uh, Brandon said that he was texting Willie at midnight before game two about some things he noticed on film. So what does it say about those two? And also CJ McCollum, that the coach has the trust in the player and B.I. also has a trust in Willie that they can just work back and forth and let B.I. do what he was doing last night. Well, I mean, how important is that to let the guy on the floor determine what reads need to be made and what calls need to be made? The guy on the floor feels it better than anybody. Now, you got to be smart enough to be able to do that. And Brandon Ingram obviously is and C.J. McCollum obviously is. You got to have some guys who are talented and smart to be able to do that. But that tells you that Brandon Ingram understands the game and he understands how to take advantage of the defenses. He's seen enough to where he can say, okay, coach, I got this. And Willie, who's a, who's a first-year coach, and how many first-year coaches are secure enough to let a player say, okay, I got this, and turn over the ring? Because, you know, some of these coaches kind of want to control everything, want to call every play, uh, want to make sure that their name gets stamped on it. So you got to be securing yourself to listen to a player to say, I, I feel like I got a good feel for this. I feel like I can make the right reads. Let me go with it. And the coach says, okay, you're out there. And that's the benefit of Willie Green having been a player and probably seen that happen before on the floor or said, you know what, when I become a coach, you know, if I got a guy who's on a heater and he says, I got this, I'm going to let him have it. And so it's just smart strategy to turn it over to the guys who are in the middle of the, of the scrap who understand how to win the scrap. I, I just think it was one of the smartest things uh, that Willie Green can do. And one of the most secure things you can do as a coach. You know, guys, I think I'm going to start with a warning that I'm going to come in real hot this morning. And uh, I think this is going to, I might call this the uh, stay petty. So you don't have to get ready segment of the program, <laughs> which we might need to find a sponsor for that. Let, Let's see if we can, is there some company that we can kind of align with pettiness that we can bring in for, for uh, my constant rants and spiels? I'm sure we can but, find someone. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was going to say, Daniel, uh, I was going to comment on one of the things that you said earlier about, you know, people might not have taken notice. And I think I've already heard this, that the Pelicans were actually ahead when Devin Booker got injured. But do, do not let that prevent people from, acting like the Pelicans were down 27 at that point and then came back and mounted a massive victory. So I'm ready for that. And I'm ready to get, get petty for that. When I hear that res response and reaction, um, cause you know, it's coming. Oh so, yeah. And, and by the way, we do, we do need to get uh, my new King of pettiness, Richard Jefferson on the podcast at some point, we'll have to see what we can do to get him on here because I appreciate him. And I always try to give him credit for coining the, stay petty so you don't have to get ready uh saying it's it's absolutely beautiful and it applies to so many things in terms of the pelicans but jd um in terms of you you made a, a good point about um the pelicans made an effort to push the pace and play faster and they did you know i, I hadn't thought about this since the game but you talked about how they scored after makes they pushed the ball after makes i mean jackson hayes had his track shoes on in the second half in the third quarter. And I thought there was a play where it looked like the Pelicans were going to call timeout and Herb ended up with a uncontested layup because the Suns stopped. And to me, I'm going to throw in another petty line here and say that I think they were, they probably paid a little bit too much attention to Max Kellerman's tweet because I felt like they were asleep <laughs> totally on that play. And I was amazed though at how um, 
the Pelicans were able to catch them off guard a few times with that. I'm guessing that the Suns are going to be watching the tape of that. And Monty Williams, who we respect a ton, is going to say, you guys better freaking get back on defense better than this a few times between now and, and the next game. But, I mean, how big of a factor do you think that was in terms of the difference between game one and game two as far as just the, the pace and the speed that the Pelicans played with? And also just the fact that, to me, that style of play is a lot is a lot harder to do during the playoffs than it is a regular season. But it's very conducive to several guys on the Pelicans in terms of they're at their best when the team can play that way. Yeah, it, it gives you some cheap baskets so you don't have to work as hard for them. And, and I guarantee you the Pels had to see something on film uh, to do it several times. They must have noticed that Phoenix maybe relaxes or celebrates a little bit, you know, after made baskets. Because they did it several times. I know, mean, you know, you mentioned Herb, and I think at least twice with Jackson. That's three made baskets off. Uh, that's three layups off made baskets. And like you said, you don't see that a lot in the NBA. So they had to see something on film that triggered that and immediately went into attack mode. And the Pels needed to do that. Get get some easy, cheap baskets. Make it easy for yourself offensively. Uh, now they shot the they shot the leather off the ball, which. You know, I don't know who that team was making 17 out of 31 because we know really not been the Pell's modus operandi this season. But if you're going to shoot it that well, that helps you overcome the turnovers. And, and that was one of the things, too. A ton of turnovers, a ton of uh, points scored off turnovers. I think 17 turnovers, 28 Phoenix points scored off those turnovers. But you can mitigate some of that if you make some threes and if you get those cheap baskets on those layups. I thought that was critical. That's you know, Phoenix is something that's that's something the Phoenix is going to adjust to, I'm sure. But to be able to catch in that one time, you know, now you put them on guard every time. Now you force them every time to go back. And sometimes you might be able to get something kind of quick anyway. If you get a team retreating on defense, maybe you can catch them, catch them still in bad matchups if they're yeah. retreating. And if you're pushing it at them, you can hopefully, you know, get some easy baskets that way. Well, since I just broke the record for the longest lead into a question in podcast history, my next one is going to be um, just in general. I mean, what do you think of the rookies, what they've been able to do so far in the playoffs? Is there a better, is there a better rookie class on the team? I mean, is there? I mean, at a second round, who's starting? Herb, who, who should be on the all-defensive team. You got Trey Murphy, who, you know, kept his head down and kept working. And now he's coming off the bench making some big shots. So. If you, if you want to disrespect the Pelicans defensively and say, okay, we're not going to guard Herb or we're not going to guard Jackson, you can put Trey Murphy out there. And if he's on the floor with CJ and B.I., he's going to get open looks. And Trey, he's probably going to make some of those open looks to make you have to expand the defense. And then Jose, I mean, we know what his story is. I mean, for him to come off the bench, an undrafted guy who, you know, but for Kyra Lewis, tearing his ACL, maybe we don't even hear from him this year. Maybe he doesn't play. Uh, he comes off the bench and makes a couple of huge threes, makes a little teardrop in the lane, and we know what he does defensively. Uh, there's nobody who's going to push him around defensively. He's out there He's out there against JaVale McGee on the switch and drew the offensive foul because JaVale McGee was, you know, I guess kind of flicking him around, you know, trying to get the fly off his back and caught him up high with an elbow. But that's who Jose is. And to, so to have all three of those guys and not just play, but be in positions where they're closing out games, they're playing critical minutes. That's big time stuff because the Bells have a couple of veterans 
a couple of wily veterans on the bench, you know, Garrett Temple, uh, Tony Snell, uh, Billy Heron and Gomez, who they're playing these rookies instead of because those guys have a really good feel and it's not too big for them. You know, there have been times where the game looked a little big for all of them because they are rookies. It is the NBA. But man, now they look comfortable. And so, you know, yeah, they're going to make mistakes and, you know, they're going to have some defensive blowups. I know, you know, Trey got beat on a couple of backdoor cuts by Bridges last night, but still overall, their pluses are so much bigger than their minuses when they're on the court that, you know, you got to play them. You've, you know, they've been properly developed. They're ready for the moment. And it's great to see rookies be able to contribute in their first playoff series against you know, the best team in the NBA. Sure. You know, speaking of uh, Jose's defense and the rookies, quick aside be- for both of you guys before I get to my last question. Did, did you what did you guys think of? I'm not sure if you saw this in real time, J.D., but what did you guys think of uh, when Jose was doing the sneak on the baseline, go for a steal and Chris Paul saw him and, <laughs> and started away. screaming at him? What did you guys think yeah. of that? I thought that was one of the funniest parts of the game because Chris is like, you know, you know, nothing gets past Chris Paul. Nothing gets past Chris. So right. when Chris was screaming at him, it was all, it was almost like he was screaming at one of his kids. You know, it was it was <laughs> hilarious. Like it was it was basically you ain't gonna get me with that. You know, blankety blank blank blank. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was hilarious. I I thought you know, I, and I hope Jose does it to him again, just so he can make him cuss again. <laughs> No, I mean, Jose is that guy on the court that you don't want to be around. He loved to have him on your team, but opposing teams are starting to realize how much of a pest he is. And again, I think that kind of summed it up. Chris Paul is like, all right, I'm not, I'm not falling for this. I know others have, but he basically just shoot him away like a, like a bug, like get out of the way. You're not getting this on me. So yeah, one of, one of the better moments of the series so far. I was cracking up because um, I tweeted basically that, and this is totally a joke. And I think most people in New Orleans got the joke and people that follow my Twitter account at this point understand my twisted humor. But I tweeted basically that telling Jose to not do that is like telling Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to not shoot a skyhook. It's like (laughs) part of what he does. It's like, you can't, you can't tell Jose like, like, no, don't do this. You can't do this. I mean, that's, it's a huge part of his game, but I was cracking up because there were several people from Phoenix who, um, that was their first exposure to my petty side. And they were tweeting at me that they were disgusted because I I used the phrase highly. It's this is highly offensive. And of course I was totally joking. I wasn't actually offended, but considering how many people get on Twitter and say they're offended by every single thing, I guess I can understand from a Phoenix fans perspective of you seeing that and being like, look at this jerk who's offended because of Chris Paul's gesture to Jose. So I tried to explain that to people but in from Phoenix, but I eventually gave up and I was just like, if you have to explain the joke, it totally ruins the joke. Yeah. It will sense anyway. the tone on Twitter. But, but and the beauty is you, and the beauty is not that Jose knows it gets Chris's nerves. You know, he's going to do it again and again, because, you know, he likes nothing better than to get on people's nerves. <laughs> yeah, True. exactly. So, I mean, that that also that falls under the umbrella of of stay petty so you don't have to get petty because I uh I, I was I, I it was you know it was late last night I gotta you gotta give me an excuse it was 1 a.m or whatever so but anyways my last question is um JD uh how incredible is Larry Nance Jr and I know we, we could probably talk about the basketball stuff all day but I wanted you to kind of talk about um his, his post game interview that he did with you guys. I, I get the radio interview sent to me 
after wins when you guys do them. And I usually find almost always find a, a morsel or two, especially with this roster and these guys that is funny and insightful. And I tweet that out, but I swear he probably had like 12 in a span of three minutes last night. I mean, what did you, uh, what was, what did you think of just his, his interview of what he did, what he did last night? I, I love him. He is, he is, he's Bundini Brown and, and B.I. is Ali. He's the hype man. He's, you're the <laughs> greatest, you're the best, you're the dude, you, nobody can stop you. He's constantly in B.I.'s ear like, you're the best thing walking. Uh, you know, they can't do anything about, I mean, he is fantastic. But now we've seen Larry Nance over the years. I did. I really just, maybe I just wasn't paying as close attention as I should have been. I didn't know he had this much game in him, to be honest with you, because he has showed up with the right team at the right time. This seems to be a perfect, a perfect fit for him yeah. uh, right now in the end because he's coming off the bench and I mean, if if there was a, you know, I, I I know Steph Curry's coming off the bench, but if there's an all six man team in the playoffs right now, he's you know one or two because he has been phenomenal with what he's done uh, coming in, not just with you know not just with the hype, but with the actual execution of what he's supposed to be doing, um, learning the offense as fast as he did. Because remember, you know, he came in, he got surgery, he wasn't able to practice or play for a while, so really these last two three weeks. He's come in and been the primary backup big. And, and look, if, if it came down to it and you had to start him, you could start him pretty easy at the four or, or the five, I believe. So, man, he, he's, been, it, it, you know, he, he's been critical now. I mean, he kind of got buried in the trade. You know, you get C.J. McCollum, you get a guy who scored, you know, 20-plus for seven straight years in the NBA, and you feel like that's the cornerstone of the trade. Now you get to the playoffs and you find out exactly how valuable Larry has been. And, Man, I, I don't, I don't, they can't win game two without him. They can't win, you know, last play game against the Clippers without him. Uh, he's just been as valuable as, as anybody off the bench in the NBA and the playoffs so far. Okay, a couple more before I let you go. One, let's talk about the crowd. What do you expect? That atmosphere on Friday night, especially not only whether you're down 2-0, or tied up 1-1, I feel like the crowd was going to be great. But now the fact that you were able to steal one on the road and a chance to lead the series on Friday night, how crazy is the Smoothie King Center going to be and how much are you looking forward to being inside there with the atmosphere and a close to a sellout crowd? We're probably going to be a sellout crowd by the time it gets Friday. Yeah, going to be a sellout. They better blow the windows out. I mean, they, they better be that loud. I mean, I, I think they will be because I think they are, are starved to see a team that's that's ascending and this team looks like it's ascending at the right time um and if you can't get hype for a team that was 12 and 3 and 16 and had to win a couple of play games and now went on the road and won a game and probably one of the toughest venues in the league because they're playing against the you know the best team in the league if you can't get hype for that i don't know what you want i i, I don't know what you want if that's not enough for you but I think it's going to be crazy. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to having a hard time here and on the radio call. And, and Graf sits pretty close to me. I'm looking forward to, you know, having a hard time hearing each other because I want it to be that loud in there because I think this team has earned that. I mean, through through the thick and thin of the season, uh, this team has, you know, not just played well together. This team has represented New Orleans. This team's always talked about representing New Orleans. You know, that's one thing that's been foremost. They're saying, you know what? 
we want to represent this city. I think they've represented the city in great fashion. And I think the city ought to come out. And like I said, I, 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 they ought to blow out the windows. They ought to blow the roof off. They ought to be as loud as they can possibly be. And they ought to be really, really happy to, to be coming home to see a team that's one and one in a series where, you know, I can't think of many people who didn't pick the Pels to be swept. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's Sean the Shazer with us, radio analyst for your New Orleans Pelicans. You can hear him on the call with Todd Graffney and Aaron Summers on Friday night at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. J.D. Safe Travels, I know it's been a long week, and I know you fully, you told me when I said Safe Travels, he go, you go, yes, I'll, I'll talk to you from Phoenix. And sure enough, you talked to us from Phoenix, and you brought home a win from Phoenix as well. Well done. Get some rest, and we'll talk to you on Friday, my friend. Looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to getting home, looking forward to getting some, some wins. Uh, have to come back to Phoenix. <laughs> but you know what? I'm glad to be coming back to Phoenix for game five. We're glad you're going to Phoenix for game five as well. That's John DeShazer on the Pelicans podcast. All right, good stuff there from John DeShazer. Of course, he'll be on the call on Friday night with Todd Graffnini and Aaron Summers on the Pelicans radio network ESPN New Orleans. Game number three, 8.30 p.m. Central tip. It will be televised locally on Valley Sports New Orleans with Joel Myers, Antonio Daniels, and Jen Hale. It'll be broadcast nationally on ESPN, but forget all that. We want you inside the arena as this game is pretty much a sellout if it's not going to be by the time you listen to this podcast. But if you can, get your tickets on pelicans.com slash tickets. It'll be another red out. You'll get a one NOLA red t-shirt courtesy of Blue Cross Blue Shield. Also, wear some red. If you don't want to wear this T-shirt, wear some red to the game. There will also be a pregame party on Dave Dixon Drive from 6.30 to 8. There will be a band, a hype team, a drum line, Big Sam's Funky Nation. Season ticket holders will get some free beers. They'll be giving away Pelican signs again. And the most important part of that, we'll be outside with you as well, joining the fun, joining the party. 7.30 pregame for myself. We'll have Aaron Summers out there. Maybe we'll get Jim Eichenhofer out there. Who knows? Uh, what we will do but uh yes we will be out there at 7 30 we'll have another podcast for you as well look pelicans have a chance to win or take the lead in the season the series i should say with a win on friday night enjoy this one enjoy the petty be petty still for the next couple of days you're allowed to make sure you save those receipts for what everyone says nationally and we'll talk to you again on friday for jim eikenhofer and john the shazer i'm daniel salerson thanks for listening to the pelicans podcast presented by seeky